On today's episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, we're going to be talking about the meta model. Meta model comes from the world of NLP, and it's about how to get very specific information from your clients so that you can help them in the best possible way. It's kind of an essential skill, you might say. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level, while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Welcome back. So, yes, the meta model. The meta model is one of the very first things that was ever developed by Richard Bandler and John Grinder, the two creators of NLP. Um, perhaps Frank Pusilic got in there as well, but uh, as far as we know, the meta model was more John Grinder than anybody else. He came from the world of linguistics. He was a linguistics professor at University of Santa Cruz, uh, University of California at Santa Cruz. So it was probably mostly him, I would surmise. I wasn't there. I don't know. Let's give him all credit. Nevertheless, what's important about it is that, well, perhaps could be summarized in a rule that Dave Dobson had. Dave Dobson was one of my teachers who, uh, who taught other than conscious communication, similar, very similar to Ericksonian hypnosis, but having to do more with other than conscious, you know, not what you said, but so much about how you say it with their body language, et cetera. Um, he really focused on that. So he really called what he did other than conscious communication. Nevertheless, Dave's rule was this as a hypnotherapist, as a therapist in general, he said, um, Dave, the client must always be specific. Dave, never. Because with, when you're doing hypnosis, it's it's often a good idea to be nonspecific. Let them fill in their own meanings to what you're saying. So you give them a story and they figure out what the story means inside. So you give them a sort of vague, if you will, purposefully vague story. It has meaning in there, but different people can ascribe different meanings to the same story. However, when you're asking questions of your client, when you want to find out what your client wants, and how they hold certain beliefs, you need to be able to dig down and find out specifically what they mean. In the sleight of mouth world, we talk about, well, I talk about, I don't know if we, <laughs> I don't know what Robert Deltz does and stuff, but I, I talk about unpacking their suitcase, unpacking their belief. You have to find out specifically how it is that they hold the belief that they're espousing or that they're believing. Maybe they're not espousing, but they're acting upon it. How, how specifically do they hold that belief? We have to unpack their suitcase to find out how specifically they do that. So that term, how specifically, is one of the central meta-model themes. So the meta-model basically is this. You ask questions to retrieve information that has been lost somehow from the communication. Let's talk about that for a brief moment. You are a coach. Let's assume you are a coach or at least interested in being a coach. But for, I would imagine in some level, somewhere along the line, you do coaching. Maybe it's with your family. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's with something that isn't professional. But nevertheless, you do give advice. You do listen to people. You do do some coaching. So as a coach, 
you want to find out what specifically a person is trying to say. But people will never be completely specific because language is incapable of that. If I wanted to describe to you a, a dinner that I enjoyed a few days ago with my wife um, in Woodstock, New York, I could describe it all I want, but you would never have the experience of the actual dinner itself. You can't, right? Language is incapable of actually giving you experience and give you simulations of experience, uh, interpretations of experience. Can you paint a picture in words? But actually, those pictures that you'll be getting will be in your mind. The words will be catalysts to that. But if I talked about this dimly lit restaurant, um, you'd probably picture something that you've been in yourself that would be like that, but it wouldn't be this one. Even if you knew which restaurant it was, if you've been to this restaurant in Woodstock, New York, um, you could say, oh, yes, I've been there, and you'd, you could picture it. But the meal itself, you wouldn't be able to exactly, you know, capture our experience. Language can't do that. So one of the things that, recognize, that uh, NLP recognizes is that this thing we do called language communication is imperfect. And our, our way of representing this world that's outside of us has to include distortions, deletions, and generalizations. Has to. Like right now, as I'm speaking to you, you're not in front of me. I'm talking to my visit. My experience right now is I'm standing in my living room, looking at this apparatus I've set up by my desk here with a computer and a stand and a microphone and lights, and I'm looking at this little green dot on the computer, trying to simulate eye contact because I know that the the camera is up there by the green dot, and if I look, you know, down at my picture, it's like I look like I'm looking down. It's you know, my experience right now is this. What I'm focusing in on is the words that I'm saying. So much of what is in my overall experience, I'm ignoring completely or doing my best to ignore completely. You know, right? If the FedEx driver comes down the driveway or whatever, it's like, I'm paying no attention to that. He's not, but he has in the past. <laughs> so he doesn't ignore that completely. And you keep your attention on what is important. We do this automatically. Automatically, if you put a microphone like this one, I won't show it to you because it makes a terrible noise when I move it. But if you put a microphone, let's pretend it, this is a microphone. There you go. This microphone, put this microphone in the middle of the room. You'd expect to hear just this conversation, but the mic picks up everything, right? The mic picks up, doesn't it? Picks up that sound. Mic picks up a lot of things that you pay no attention to when you're listening. You, do, you delete those things. Pay attention on what's important. We do this. We do this automatically. We distort, we delete, we generalize information. You know, the dimly lit restaurant, we generalize, okay, yeah, dimly lit restaurants. I know what that means. I've been there before, right? So we make these interpretations of things. The challenge is as a coach, as a therapist, is that if you assume something based on your interpretations, your generalizations, your deletions, your distortions, that sometimes you can miss what the person is actually trying to communicate, what they're actually trying to get across to you in their communication. So it behooves us to know the meta model. The meta model was developed, as I said, by probably mostly John Grinder, but I'm sure Richard Bandler had you know, input on it and probably Frank Pusilek and everybody else who was around in those early days of NLP. 
probably contributed. But let's just suffice it to say it's from the world of NLP. Excuse me. <coughs> and what the meta model is, is a series of questions to restore that deleted or distorted or generalized information that wasn't in the communication. Let me give you an example. If I said, this is now in the category of unspecified verbs, unspecified verbs. If I sent, said I went to a dimly lit restaurant in Woodstock recently, um, the word I went, that's the verb part, right? I went. It's an unspecified verb. How did I go? We don't know. Did I walk? Did I drive? Did I bicycle? It's possible, right? How did I go to the restaurant? I went to the restaurant. So if you're listening to that statement, you're like, oh, that's nice. And you just say, accept it all. Oh, nice. Good for you. And just accept it all, the distortions, all the deletions, all the generalizations. You go like, okay. Or you could try to get a little bit more specific. You could say, well, how specifically did you go to this restaurant, this dimly lit restaurant in Woodstock a few days ago? And, and my answer might be, I drove to the restaurant. And now you'd have a more specific representation. But is it specific yet? Not really. In a way, in a kind of way, like I said, you know, you can never actually have that experience fully. Language can't give you the experience. In a way, I can never, and never is one of those words you might want to challenge from time to time, because it's a generalization, isn't it? It's a universal generalization. Never. But let me just suffice to say, um, <laughs> you will probably, I think never is appropriate, get an exact verbal specific representation that gives you the experience. So if I said I went to the restaurant, you could say, well, how specifically did you go? And I could say I drove. It's more specific than went. Is it specific? Kind of. Not really. Drove what? Drove how? Drove what route? You know, did I drive down the main highway to get there? Did I drive it as fast as I could, you know, interweaving throughout traffic? Or did I kind of putt-putt mosey away and with maybe a, you know, a classic you know, 1937 Model A Ford, you know, and just kind of going through with my Surrey with a fringe on the top, you know, or did I take a horse-drawn wagon because it was romantic? You don't, you don't know what drove meant. Drove meant horse-drawn wagons back in the day. You drove your team of wagons. You drove a team of horses, sorry. You know, that's what it meant. Maybe that's even where the word comes from. Maybe it's kind of archaic to say I drove a car. Especially these days with automatic steering and all sorts of automatic drivers, you're just like, I sat in the car and it delivered me to my, my address that I put in on the, on the, on the machine. Um, anyway, so getting more specific information is the task, and maybe it will never actually be accomplished fully and completely. But we strive to get more specific information. Why do we do this? Oh, oh, oh let me just say. There are a bunch of categories. I, we've talked about unspecified verbs so far. There could also be unspecified nouns. If I said it was delightful, and I had been talking about my dinner in Woodstock a few weeks ago, um, you might assume that I was talking about the dinner in Woodstock a few nights ago. It was delightful. But the word it 
is an unspecified noun. Right? We talked about unspecified verbs. This is an unspecified noun. What's it? Who's it? Where's it? We don't know what it is. It's unspecified. So if I were to ask, well, what's what was delightful? That's a metamodel question to unpack or uh, open up to retrieve lost information. What specifically are you talking about? Who specifically? Who or what specifically was delightful? So, well, the drive was delightful. Ah, fooled you. See, you thought I was talking about the dinner. So the drive was delightful. Well, how specifically was it delightful? So now you're challenging the delightful part. I'm not even frankly sure what part of speech delightful is. I think it's an adjective. So unspecified adjectives, I suppose, would be another category. How specifically was it delightful? Well, the weather was just beautiful. We were in no hurry whatsoever driving the Surrey with the fringe on the top and our team of horses. And uh, it was delightful over the river and through the woods. And it was really sweet and delightful. Oh, how nice. And again, seems kind of more specific now, doesn't it? But lots of other questions could be coming up. So you as a coach need to be aware that people will generalize. People will be nonspecific. People will jump to conclusions. And that's okay for them to do that. You as a coach, however, have to catch them in the act and get very specific. The trick is this. If you are not aware of rule number one in any coaching situation, rule number one is to maintain rapport, to have rapport, maintain rapport. Um, if you lose rapport, you can easily lose rapport with metamodel questions, and then it becomes kind of like interrogation. Like, well, how specifically did you do that, Mrs. Jones? Where specifically were you that night between 10 o'clock and uh, midnight? Well, how specifically did you knock on the door? You knocked on the door? How? You know, you could get inter interrogative, um, like you're interrogating a witness. That's not fun. That's not nice. Nobody wants that. So you could instantly or quickly at least lose rapport in that way. We want to be careful. The meta model, by the way, is really important in therapy when you're coaching, either way, when you're um, doing retrieval of what it is that they want and helping to get a very clear outcome. Very important to do that. Sometimes people use NLP and these things in uh, fields, in situations, scenarios, other than necessarily coaching or people helping professionally. As an example, NLP is often used in sales. Sleight of mouth is often used in sales. It's not really that automatically okay to use the meta model very aggressively in sales because it can quickly turn into feeling like you're interrogating your client, your customer. Well, how specifically do you want to this car? <laughs> you just you want to be a little bit more soft pedaled. And, you know, the rapport thing is absolutely critical in sales, isn't it? But it's critical in all areas. So number, rule number one in all situations is to have that awareness of rapport, maintain it if at all possible. And in therapy, it's actually your job to get specific and to call them on their non-specifics and to you know retrieve from them what do they really mean? How does that really get? It is easier to be meta model, um, Mauritius. I'm not sure that's the right word. Me 
you can use it more aggressively than in sales, generally speaking, when you're a coach, when you're a therapist, because it is your job to do so, isn't it? It's, you're not their friend. You're their coach. There's a difference, unless you are their friend and you're giving free advice. But nevertheless, if you're a coach, your job is to help them make the changes they've come for, not to be their friend. They've got friends, right? When you are hired to do a coaching job, therapist job, that is your job. And sometimes it flies in the face of like straight ahead uh, friendship to do that. Rapport is different than friendship. Rapport is different from, from friendship. If I go to a doctor, I don't necessarily want to be talking about, you know, the the Bills game, the Jets game, or the Giants game, or the Dolphins game. You know, I, I want to be talking about my, uh, my liver issue, doctor, you know. Let's talk about that. Right? I, I want to have enough rapport to believe my doctor is on my side and is a professional and doing his job, you know, keeping the Hippocratic Oath in mind, right? That's good. And, you know, I want to feel secure and safe and all those things, but I don't necessarily want to, you know, feel friendly. That's a different thing. So rapport is not friendship necessarily. It's having that, that sense of like, I hear you. I'm I'm on your side. We are compatible. We are comp from, um, there's a word like compatible, uh, sim simpatico. And we're working on the same thing together, right? We're on the same team, working together the same way. That's rapport. Friendship and rapport are not necessarily the same thing. Of course, in a friendship, most of the time you have rapport, even though there sometimes can be rifts in friendships that hopefully get fixed, etc. So. The meta model has lots and lots of categories in it, and each of them can be valuable to study. There's probably 50 different meta model categories. There are books about it. There's things you can read. Um, I will, however, before we leave today, give you one shortcut to the meta model. There is um, my friend John Laval created what he referred to as the universal meta model question. The universal meta model question. There are some forms of the meta model. In a few weeks, I'll be starting a NLP six month cohort. We'll be really diving into some things, and it's really useful to get hold of some. Like, like nominalizations can be really, really useful in coaching to understand what a nominalization is and how to bust up a nominalization with rapport. It can be really, really important. Um, we'll be talking a lot more about those things. For now, however, um, I would like to just say there is what we call a universal meta model question. And that universal meta model question is this it is, uh, what do you mean? And I don't know if you noticed that um, all important uh part, but the uh part is kind of like where you th you're thinking, you know, uh, Showing the thinking by squinting and looking off in the distance, tilting your head slightly. Uh, what do you mean? And then you ask, what do you mean? And generally speaking, the person, whether it's a, whether they have just delivered an unmet, unspecified verb or an unspecified noun or, you know, nominalization, whatever, they will come along and say, oh, what I mean is, and they'll be more specific. They'll give you a more specified verb. They'll give you a more specified noun. They'll tell you what it meant or who it was when they said he or she or they, you know, they'll give you the more specified version. Um, generally speaking, that is true. That's a really good shortcut 
to meta models that universal meta model question. Uh, what do you mean? You can practice that at home. And um, <laughs> I do hope to see you again soon. Like I said, we're going to be doing this sleight of mouth of this, I'm sorry, NLP cohort where we'll be really be diving into these things. It's um, one of those things where we focus on the 80-20 rule, any 80-20 principle. And in this NLP cohort, I'll be launching in just a week or so, I'll be focusing on is the, what are the 20% of the NLP tools, things that we use 80% of the time for 80% of the clients? And how do we get really good at that 20% so that we can really be confident and use this well in that 80% of the time? So thank you for listening. I know this was a bit of a short uh, uh, podcast, but I th appreciate you being here. And we'll have some longer ones in the future. But isn't quality more important than quantity? Thank you for being here. See you again real soon. This has been the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Hope to see you again real soon. Come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. And if you want to, you can find out more about us, each and every one of us, at EssentialCoachingSkills.com. Thanks.